0: The following message is by a guest speaker at Emanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emanuelcommunity.org. We're, if you remember, uh, myself, Pastor Reggie, and uh, Pastor Eugene are going through 2 Timothy, and we're, we're coming to the close of it. So, um, you know, 2 Timothy is... Um, let, let's look at the passage, and uh, I, titles are very last minute for me, and so I told Anisa one title, which is in your bulletin, which is... Comp- I changed it to The Fight of Faith, not that... I don't know, if you guys are picky about that, it's The Fight of Faith, okay? So, <laughs> let's look at 2 Timothy... Um, I'm going to actually start from the end of chapter 3 and and go through um, chapter 4, verse 8. So let's look at the passage together. Um, 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 through chapter 4 through 8. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Why don't we pray before we get into the message? Heavenly Father, um, we now bring you the worship of our listening hearts. And however we may have come this morning, we pray now that you would draw our attention. That you would recalibrate our hearts to you. That you would do the work that only you can do to communicate your word directly to our hearts. And we listen in faith that these things are possible because you are a God who desires to speak to your people. So now come, turn this place into a place where everyone, uh, it feels like they're in your presence. Everyone is um, captured uh, by the things that you have to say. And may the word bear fruit in our lives. We bring you, bring you this worship, and we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so. Um, okay, um, going back. 2 Timothy is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, okay? This young, you know, I, I feel like I'm a broken record here. He's young. He's, you know, he's not too, he's kind of timid. Um, and, you know, Paul's at the end of his life. He's actually in prison, and he's about to. He, he's facing death. He, he, he pretty much sees the end of his life is near. And so he's, he's thinking of what to say to this younger pastor, Timothy, uh, about carrying on the gospel in the next generation. And so that's sort of the backdrop of 2 of Timothy. And, you know, um, so, and Paul is able to say at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I mean, those are, you know, how do we live in such a way as to hear those words from our master? Like, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, if, if we were to just end things right now, like life, and just face our master, it, are those the words that we would hear? Um, you know, I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So, Paul's charge to Timothy, okay, he could have said anything, you know, he's at the what can I say to this young pastor? You know, uh, I'm going to be gone soon and the work must go on. What am I going to say to him? He says, preach the word. Okay, so in verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing, preach the word. It's almost like he's saying, you know, like how, how sometimes we're like, if we want to say something and, and let the other person know we really mean it, like, I swear on heaven and earth. Like, I swear on my mother's grave. You know, we, we say these types of words to add extra weight to what we're about to say. And, and so, and so that Paul does the same thing. And what he says is preach the word. So why is preaching the word of God so important? Okay? Uh, uh, I just have a couple quick reasons here of why the word of God and it being preached is important. Okay? So um, at the end of chapter 3 of Second Timothy we find this you know, pretty well-known verse. It's all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Okay? So breathed out by God, this, this phrase, it, it literally means divinely inspired. It means God inspired. It refers to uh, a direct communication from God. So human authors were used by God to write out the Bible, okay? And they were under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So the things that they wrote that ended up in our Bible, we can see these are God's words to us, right? Um, So the Bible, therefore, it's not just a bunch of random historic texts that got thrown together. These are the words of God. They were timely when they were written, but they are also timeless for us today, okay? So The word of God is is living, it's alive, okay? So that's one reason. Another reason is why preach the word. The word of God teaches and corrects us, okay? Um, Okay, so how do we know about God? How are we going to find out what he wants, what he's like, what he's like, you know? What he thinks about sin, you know, his plan of salvation, even things to come, the end of time. How are we going to, I mean... Do we guess about these things? No. We have the Bible that shows and reveals these things to us. God cares about us. He wants us to know about him and, and what he wants and his will. And so we have the Bible, right? The word of God also acts as a, like, um, it, it corrects us. It puts us on the right trajectory and right path, right? It does this in a way where it, it acts like a mirror, okay? When you look at the word of God and you see your life, It acts as a mirror to show every blemish, everything sticking out of your nose. You know, I mean, there's this, like, I don't know, catch up here. That's what the Word of God does to us, to our souls, right? It shows us how we really are. The Word of God also corrects us in that it shows us God's standards, okay? What He expects, what He wants of us. Let's imagine, you know, there's this ship on the water, right? And... In order to get to its destination, um, it needs to constantly course correct. The captain of the ship has instruments. And when the wind and the waves blow and, you know, the the ship tilts, if it continues to tilt and keeps going the same way, it's never going to get to the right place. And so there is constant course correction, okay? Always pointing the, the, you know, and we do that when we're driving as well, you know. Um, And this is in the same way we must, the Bible helps us, to constantly course correct our lives. Okay, we think, okay, we're drifting this way and we think this is the right way to live. And then we read the Bible, we're like, whoa, you know, I need to turn 30 degrees this way. Okay, does that make sense? The, the Bible helps us to constantly recalibrate our lives to God. So how do we get so far off course? Because sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, you know, pick up your cross daily and follow me and, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I'm like, what the heck is this talking about, you know? My life is not like that, you know? And so I find that my life, is, it, it can get very off course from when I read the Bible, okay? One of the big pitfalls that we fall into in a discrepancy between what the Word of God says and how we're living our lives is because we often compare ourselves to other people, Okay? We look at other people. We look at what they're doing. Like, this person goes to church. They're pretty good. You know, I don't seem that different from them. I must be okay. You know, and that's that's the kind of thinking that, that we often do. We compare ourselves. For instance, for example, we may think there's nothing wrong with working hard to make a ton of money so that I could live, like, a really nice lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that. Everyone's doing that, you know. People in church, people outside of church, no big deal. Okay? And then we're confronted with something from the Word of God that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, everything that you are. Don't leave a drop of love for anything else, if I'm reading that passage right. Okay? Love the Lord your God with all. Okay? In other words, we don't make choices about where to live, what kind of car to buy, should I take this job or not based on what other people are doing? We do it, if you're a Christian, if we love Jesus, we do these things based on I love God. I, He has loved me greatly. I love him. And the things that are important to him are important to me. Therefore, the things that I choose to do in my life and where I live and how I raise my kids and, you know, how I spend my money, those things I want to be frugal to myself and rich towards others and rich towards God. And this is in keeping with the Bible. And again, we're we're talking about course correcting, we're talking about gauging ourselves against other people. Okay? Like look at other people, like cool, fine. You know, wow, that's a really that's a really cool gadget that you have. It's a really cool thing that you have. But for people that for God is calling us to love him only, in everything our actions will be different. Our actions will be different, okay? Um, So how we spend our money, Dr. Steve talked about this recently in a message, you know, how we spend our money really reveals where our heart is, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if we're living a lifestyle that's impressive, even to non-Christians, because of the niceness of the things we have, and the things we wear, and whatever, okay, the, thing, the places we go to. And if we're living that kind of lifestyle, and we have a, a church member, a small group member, a community group member that's struggling to make ends meet, and we do not do something for that person, that is an inversion of priorities. That is, my values are, are so geared towards what other people are doing that I'm missing the point of what the Bible is saying, to love my brothers and sisters and to be rich towards them, generous towards them, even at cost to myself, okay? Why do we see, so in the the church of Acts, let me give you an example from there. In Acts chapter 4, it's talking about the believers there, right? It says, now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. No one said any, any of these things that belonged to him was his own, okay? But they had everything in common. So literally, in the New Testament, in the church, they were so filled and satisfied with what God had done in their lives with Jesus that they were like, people that had houses, they'd sell them. People that had cows, they'd sell them, you know? And then they'd bring the money, and anyone that has need is covered, okay? That's how they were providing for each other. And this type of living is consistent with the gospel, And if we look at this passage and we're like, that's so weird. That's so different than me. Maybe it's because we've gauged ourselves on a different standard, a standard that is not from the Bible, but rather from society or from ourselves. Okay, so the warning is this. Don't make value judgments based on what other people are doing around you. Don't look at the world to gauge how we're living. Look at the Word of God. It will show you clearly God's heart what he wants, how we are to live. Because we can make ourselves feel real good and okay because everyone around me is similar. But if we want to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant, or I have fought the good fight, we want to be able to say those things at the end of our lives. We have to gauge ourselves off of what the Bible says, okay? I also wanted to say uh, just a <laughs> brief word of warning when it comes to receiving the word of God, okay? Okay. Um, the Lord will hold us accountable for every teaching we have received, okay? I, I don't feel so good about that because I've been through lots of sermons. I've heard lots of great messages. I've read the Bible. I grew up, my parents taught me, you know, growing up. I have a ton of things that I've learned, okay? And I should be, um, okay, so how do I say this? Okay, so every Bible study, every small group, every time you've opened the Bible, the expectation that God has when the word goes out is that it bears fruit, okay? Not that it gets stuck here, not that we don't just nod our heads and say, I believe that, but it sinks down into our hearts, into the depths of our soul, to the core of who we are, and bears fruit, bears fruit, okay? Um, in, In the parable of the sower, you know, the four soils, Jesus is instructing his disciples, you know, that the word of, you know, exactly about this point that the word of God should bear fruit in our lives. And in Mark chapter 4, it says, but those that were sown in the good soil, talking about the word of God, landed in good soil, hearts that were ready to hear it. And the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. You see, it's not enough to hear the word of God. It's not enough to spit out the right answers the expectation when the word of god goes forth is that it bears fruit in our lives it bears fruit okay don't be deceived into thinking that just because you listen to something or read a book or whatever it is however it comes to you and you feel a little convicted and you feel like wow moved wow that was a that was a hit me that impacted me and then nothing changes in our lives don't mistake that for fruit bearing okay uh, in our lives. So, <laughs> we must eat the word. We must eat the word, okay? What do I mean by that, all right? Let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten full by smelling food? Does that, has that ever, is uh, that work for you guys? When you look at food, does that fill your belly, all right? I, I don't know. Maybe some of you have this, like, real mental gift to do that, but for most of us, the only way to get strength from food is to eat it, is to put it in your mouth, chew it, swallow it, and make it, like, absorb those nutrients. And a good thing the body does all that by itself. You know, I don't know how all that works. But you grow and you benefit from food by eating it, okay? What do I mean when I say eat the word, okay? Okay, so you read it, all right? That's, you know, part of the process. And then you think about it. What does this mean? You know, what does this, this talk? You ask questions. What is she just what talking about here? What, who, who, what, I don't get this. What, what, and you just start asking questions of the text. Okay? And then you read it again. <laughs> if you really want to understand it, you're making a couple passes at, at, at this passage, right? And then you pray about it. And you say, man, I have access to the Spirit of God who wrote this. What does this mean? You know, Please reveal to me what this means, okay? Then we look at our lives, look at the world, we look at this word, and we apply it. Like, okay, well, if this is true... What, what difference is this going to make in my life? How should I live if this is true? And then another way that we can eat the word is we memorize and we meditate. And we might jot it down and stick it in a place at our desk where throughout the day we're just looking at it. It's like marinating our minds that whole day, you know. That's how you eat the word. You absorb it. You look at it, okay. Um, let me, let me use John 3.16 as an example, okay? So a very familiar passage to us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, right? Now, if you close the Bible after you read that passage, that's not eating. That's smelling, okay? That's window shopping, okay? If you're going to eat this passage, you need to think, okay, God so loved the world. Okay, all right. The world, everyone, okay? The world is not a... It's not all filled with good people. There's some bad stuff going on. Okay, God loves... This. this is the world he loves. Okay, all right. And he gave his only son. He gave his only son for the world, for this messed up world. Okay. Wow. He must really love the world. Wow. Okay. Eh, okay, okay. What's the next part? Whoever believes in him should... Okay. Should not perish, but have eternal life. Wow. God wants us to trust him. Access to him is... Belie- okay. Wow. Like, think about my life. Do I... Am I really believing this? Do I... And, and so... I hope, I'm just sketching a picture of what it might mean to eat the word, eat this passage, okay? So you guys are going to be spiritual gluttons now, right? Eating the word, getting fat, buffet style, all right? Eat the word. Have it sink into the deepest places of our lives, Have it put down roots that it might grow and bear fruit in our lives. Paul also instructs Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? Be ready in season and out of season. So Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word whether times are convenient or inconvenient. Let me tell you, it is very inconvenient these days to express your views about the Bible, okay? If you think about your workplace and you say things on homosexuality, things on uh, marriage only for, you know, uh, you know, Sex only in marriage. If you say any, pretty much any b- basic beliefs in the Bible, Jesus is the only way. Those, those are not received well, okay? So preach the word whether it's convenient or it's inconvenient, okay? Preach the word whether people want to hear it or they are against it, okay? That is another uh, implication here. Preach the word when you feel like you might lose people in your church because you're offending them with the gospel, If I offend out of my personality to you, I apologize, but I will offend you all day long with the gospel, (laughs) the Bible (laughs) says, because that is what we need to hear and be bothered by if our lives are not consistent with it, right? Preach the word even if you look like a fool, okay? And preach the word even if it costs you your freedom or your life. Listen to who is saying these words, Paul the Apostle. I am so honored to be named after such a man. He preached the word, and it got him into jail. Did he shut up? No. We're going to cut your head off, Paul. We're going to beat you. We're going to make life miserable for you. All you have to do is stop preaching the gospel. Just stop. And he wouldn't do it. Preach the word. And Paul also urges Timothy, in, in this context of preaching the word, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, okay, Timothy is to, and the preacher is to, call out the sins of the people and the times, okay? Sometimes gently by reproof, okay, in a nice way, and sometimes straight rebuking people, okay, sharp criticism, all right? And Timothy is also to exhort, meaning to strongly urge people, to compel people, to make every effort to appeal to them on God's behalf. Right? Let me use a picture here of uh, a, a parent teaching a very little child not to hit other people. Okay? Uh, to, to talk about reproof, rebuke, and exhort. All right, So we've got Junior. He's at that age where he, he doesn't think hitting people is a big deal. And so a parent might say, here's reproof, Okay, gentle correction. Junior, we don't use our hands to hit people. Okay? Hitting bad. Okay? Don't do that. That's reproof, okay? Rebuke is Junior just smacked a kid for the third time <laughs> in, his, in his preschool, and you say, Junior, drop that toy. You don't hit people with other that bad. You n- No, hitting bad. Okay? And frankly, there are times in our lives where we need to hear that kind of correction. Okay, And then exhorting. You sit down with the kid, you're like, Junior, I... I know you sometimes get angry, okay? Daddy really wants you to have gentle hands. Don't you love it when Daddy has gentle hands with you, you know, right? Let's be gentle. So that's urging on to to this goal of righteousness, okay? So on the one hand, the preacher must not avoid correcting his people. If, I don't know how to say this. If whoever's up here is not, is giving you a message in a gospel that requires no change, that does not bother you in any way, that does not prick uh, your sinful conscience, and everything you're hearing is like easy, palatable, no change. That's not, <laughs> that's not biblical preaching, okay? And so you as, the con- you as the receiver must know that, and you got to be like, preach the Bible, preach the word preacher, you know, because I need to hear it. My soul needs to hear it. Okay. So the preacher is to not avoid correcting his people. He's to call out the sins, wrong ways of thinking, pointing out idols in our lives, bringing us back to the gospel. Yet on the other hand, the preacher is to do it in a way that is um, with complete patience and teaching. Okay. It's not, he's not to be (laughs) heavy handed or just constantly slapping the people. And you, and just making everyone feel like the dirt of the earth, okay, all the time. It's, it's, it's a patient delivery. It's an it's a, it's a instruction. There should be instruction, okay? So patience with people as well as patience for waiting for the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. Do you guys have friends that you guys are praying for and you're like, ah, I just wish they would change or <laughs> love God or wake up, you know? And we need to be patient and consistent in our prayers for them. Because God, the Holy Spirit, is the one that's going to do the work. And that timing, we don't know. So we need to be patient in that. In the same way the preacher is to be patient. Also teaching, instructing, uh, guiding, uh, mentoring, un- and understanding of the scriptures. There needs to be that component as well. Right. In verses 3 to 4 of the passage, so Paul gives Timothy some insight. Okay, why, why people will reject the word. And he's prepping Timothy, okay? Timothy Not everyone will receive the word. And and this is what the verse is saying. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Why would people not endure sound and healthy teaching? Why do people want to spit that out as listeners? Okay? The reason is because deep in our hearts we are looking to something other than Jesus to make us happy. Something else is occupying our passions. There is something that we love and want more than Jesus. And when the word of God comes to that kind of heart, uh, that heart wants to reject it. I don't want that. This is what I really want. I don't want Jesus. Okay? So instead of God, they're looking to something else to make them happy. (laughs) Let me use... um, let me use this dance illustration here. Um, let's say you love to dance, okay? You're like, I, the first time you saw someone dance, like street hip-hop dance, you're like something and you just, I was, this is my calling, you know? And you're just like, I, I have to do this. And so you spend countless hours in your basement in front of the mirror, and you, you've got your headphones on, and you're just like letting the music move you, and you're just like hours and hours of your craft, right? And... You don't want to brag, but you think you're pretty good, okay? You're, 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 you're pretty good at this, all right? So, But the thing is, as soon as people see you dance, they are like... So the reactions range from looks of horror, like they cover their faces, like they can't believe what they're seeing, to people cannot talk or breathe because they're just on the floor laughing because of what they're seeing, right? So, you know, you, you have no rhythm, Okay? When the music, the music and what you're doing has no correlation whatsoever. There's no connection there, okay? Um, the only category of dance that would remotely be connected to what you're doing would be interpretive dance, okay? So you, you just don't get it, all right? You're, you're, and so some confirmed friends come up to you, and they're like, we need to do an intervention here. <laughs> we need to tell our friend that there's something really wrong here, okay? So they, they, they sit you down, and they say, dude, you stink at dancing, Don't even try out for America's Got Talent because, frankly, you don't have a lick of it. Okay, don't. So (laughs) they're confronting you because of this, right? And so you're like, really? You know, and you're like, so what ends up happening in your heart is like, instead of accepting the truth of what your friends are saying, you seek out somebody else that will agree with how you actually feel. I don't believe these 20 people gathered here that are my closest, dearest friends and what they're telling me. I'm going to find somebody else that agrees that I'm the greatest. And you find them. It's your mom. Your mom is like, you are the greatest dancer, period. And you're like, yes. Someone agrees with what I feel in my heart. Okay. And this is like a very silly illustration to show you this. This is what Paul is talking about. There will come a time when people will reject the truth. They will reject what God is saying in order to find someone else that will match what their heart is saying. So they reject the truth and they find someone else that matches what they want to hear. They have itching ears. That's how it's described for that, right? And the reality is many of our hearts are not inclined to God's word. Okay? They're not inclined to the truth. But rather, we're inclined to our own desires. That is why living, fighting the fight of faith is so difficult because we have conflicting passions. Jesus is here. Okay? And then well, some of the other things we want are here. Okay? And when those things are going on, there's a battle inside our hearts. Instead of facing the truth that I have a sin problem... I desperately need Jesus. I need grace. I need God's direct intervention in order to change me from the inside out. Instead of accepting that truth, we might reject it. And many do. And they want to find someone else that'll say the things that they want to hear so that their lives and how they're living will be justified, will be okay. Right? Which would you rather hear? A sweet lie? A myth? Or do you want to hear the truth? Do you want to look in a mirror? Or do you want to look at a photoshopped image of yourself? Unless God deals with us at the deepest level of who we are, deepest, like, I would say the desires and the heart, that's that's where everything flows out of, our hearts. Unless God deals with us there at the root, we will not change. We will not. You might be able to curb off that, I don't know, angry yelling you might be able to stop gossiping you know for a little bit but that's not de- that's dealing with the symptom that's not dealing with the heart okay so it's not god i'm sorry i yelled at the kids this one time it's i am an angry person and if you don't change the core of who i am i will remain like this God help me. Okay. It's not God change my circumstances so I have more money so I'm not struggling enough. It's God, I I confess I don't trust you. That is why I worry all the time about everything. I don't if you don't change my heart, the core of who I am, I will always worry. I will always be anxious about life, about money, about everything. And it's not God help me to deal with this horrible boss. Okay, che- like I don't know if you're going to change his heart or get run over by a bus. I don't care. One way or the other, just deal with this boss, right? But it's not that, but it's, God, make me the kind of person that loves even those that wrong me. Make me that person. Because if I am that kind of person, if you change my heart to love people that, I, that do me evil, I will act in a way that, that loves them. If you change my heart to be from an angry person to one that loves, I will do the acts of love. Okay? You will not do the things that are not. Everything you do, you and I do, starts here. It starts with our desires. Actions are all connected to what's inside of us. So out of the overflow of the heart, we act. Okay? Out of a, a jealous heart, if you have a jealous heart, will come actions that cut down other people. Your words, the, your body language. Okay? Out of a worried heart will come actions that constantly try to build security. I want to have more money. I want to have more. I'm, I, I eat all these vitamins, my kids, because, and you go take them to the doctor 12 times a year because you're just so worried. Okay? Out of a worried heart will come actions that are consistent with that. Out of a lustful heart will come actions to try to satisfy that never-ending addiction or, or heart. Okay? If you have a proud heart, your actions will show it. You will put down others. You'll elevate yourself. You'll draw attention because you are proud. Not you act proud. You are proud. Okay? And so only a heart that is possessed by the Holy Spirit will overflow with love, overflow with joy. If the Spirit is living in you, changing you, alive in you, you will be the kind of person that has unshakable peace. You will be impossibly patient. You out of your life will flow kindness. You'll be a lover of good, faithful, gentle in all things, self-disciplined. These are the fruits of the spirit. If this is radically transformed, those are the things that'll flow out of you. Okay? The, battle, the battle is not out there. Okay? It's not someone else. It's not something else. The battle is here. Okay? It's not the horrible boss. It's not the failing marriage. It's not the financial struggles. Okay? It's not primarily the health problems. It's not the wayward child. Okay? The battle is inside us. Our heart, our desires. That is where not all the problem, but pretty much the centrality of the problem lies. Okay? And what do we do with that? You know? Will we face the truth of the scriptures and accept correction and instruction? Or will we just find someone that's going to make us feel better about ourselves. That is the choice we have in front of us. Okay, so we've seen that the Word of God is to be preached. Okay, the Word of God is our, our compass. It's, it's, it corrects us. It trains us. We've also seen that a sinful heart is not inclined to God's truth, but to find someone that will affirm its own desires. So we've seen those two things. And lastly... The Lord will reward those who are faithful to the end. Okay, so in verse 6 through 8 of the passage, Paul moves, from, he shifts from instruction. Timothy, do this. Here's what you need to do. Preach the word. And he says, he looks at his own life. He says, for I, being already, uh, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. This is his personal testimony of this struggle in his heart to accept the truth, to change, to love Jesus. We will always fight for the things that we love. If you love something, if if you are just passionate about something, you will fight for it. You will make it happen. You will find a way. My question to you is, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus only? (laughs) Not is he on the list of the top 25 things that I love. Is he your chief and primary love? That if everything else dropped away, you don't care because you have him. If you love Jesus, you will fight to the end. You will fight this good fight all the way until the end. It won't be easy. You will fail. You will feel like giving up. But the Lord will provide us strength to continue to love him and fight this fight of faith. Your reward will be Christ himself. But if we love something else more than Jesus or competing with Jesus... We will not fight. We will not. Not for Jesus. We'll fight for something else. You will always fight after and you always fight for the things that you love. If money is your God, if admiration of people is more important to you, if status or desire to be loved is the most important thing, these are the things we will fight for, not for Jesus. And longing for his return will not be anywhere in our landscape anywhere in our outlook frankly we may not want him to return at all because there's a whole bunch of things on this earth that i'm waiting to live for don't come jesus you know i want to see this and that happen longing for jesus to return is sort of a a litmus test for christians okay it exposes what we're really living for um We might say in our hearts, in our deepest of hearts, I don't want you to return, Jesus. I have so many things that I have to do in this life that I want to see, that I want to experience. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them get married. I want to, and none of us are guaranteed to live the life as long as we want, okay? Um, But those are the things we long for, and Jesus might interrupt those things. Versus an attitude that longs for Jesus to return, which would say, Lord, I cannot wait for you to come. I want to be with you. I'm tired of fighting against my sin. I'm tired of fighting. I, I can do it if you strengthen me, but I really want to see you. I long for you. You are what I'm waiting for. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. That is a... a a test, an indicator of who we love, okay? So do we long for his return? And we also need to realize where the fight is. We, you know, the fight is inside of us, you know, kind of like we talked about. It's our desires. It's our heart, okay? Luke chapter 6. Again, just reiterating this point. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, okay? Meaning he has a good heart, outcomes good actions, And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You can fool people. You can fool me. Nice exterior, put-together life, pleasant demeanor, really good at small talk. But what is inside will always come out. It will always come out. No matter how much we mask ourselves and try to cover it up. It's Jesus that needs to enter into our lives and just revolutionize our hearts, okay? Outward behavior can be modified, but heart change requires divine intervention, okay? So this fight of faith, this begging God to transform us from the inside um, so that we will actually do the things that Jesus does, okay? It's not the reverse, which I think most, most of my life I've done. Do the right things. Don't do these things. What, what the Bible is saying is, Be transformed in the nature of who you are so that you will be the kind of person that will love to do the things that Jesus wants. Do you see that difference? Wouldn't that be awesome? If instead of struggling to do what God wants us to do, that would just be our nature and our heart. I will put in you a heart of, I will take out your heart of stone and give you the heart of flesh. I will write my word in your heart. These are the promises for the people of God. He will write it in us so that we will want to do those things. We will want to be. We want to love. We want to love radically. We want to open our mouths and talk about him all the time. These are not things that we slap on on the outside. To those of you who hear my voice, let us not live as if we have years to change, decades and lifetimes. I'll do this later. I'll get serious about you later, Jesus. I'll tell that person about you later. Let us live as if we have minutes, hours, today. Today, if you hear this, if you hear this word, respond, repent. Okay? Let's not think about what we can change tomorrow or some other time. Are we longing for him today? If we're not, hallelujah that that's been realized. Okay? Now we can go to him and say, I don't want you to return, Jesus. Can you help me? We can say those things, right? We can repent. Are you, are you asleep? Are you going through the motions of following Jesus? Is there any fighting of, for your faith in your life? If you're struggling to live this out, this word, if you're failing in your Christian life and you feel like weak and like you can't do it, You're on the right path. Just really recently, the Lord has been really just showing me that He's returning very soon. And my prayer has been Lord, help me to burn for You (laughs) in these last days. Help me to hear Your voice. Let me be alive. Not going through the motions. I need to hear. People need to hear. So today, if you hear this word, wake up, please wake up. Let's have like a massive re- reorientation of our lives and our priorities to God. He is waiting one more for one more day. One more day that we will turn to him and one more person will come to him. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Some of you are <clears throat> fighting this fight of faith. You're struggling daily dying to yourself to do what God is asking of you. Sometimes you wonder if it's worth it. And to you, I say, keep going and do not lose heart. The Lord, the righteous judge, he will give you a crown of righteousness to all who long for his return. But some of you are not fighting at all. You're preoccupied with building your own kingdom and comforts on this earth. For you, the Lord's return is not something that you're looking forward to. It's an interruption to your life. And we need to hear these words from Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. They are few. If the wide and easy way defines your life, then you are on the road that leads to destruction and many are on this road. Not later, not tomorrow, but today. Repent for the Lord is returning soon. If life is a battle for you, And you're fighting hard to love the Lord. Don't lose heart. For the way that leads to life is narrow and hard. And few there be that find it. Those who endure until the end will hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. And receive this crown of righteousness. Jesus will be your reward. And very soon we will stand before our Lord to give an account of what kind of fruit his word has produced in us. Let us live ready. Let us live ready. Let's eat the word. Let's bear fruit. Let's be alive in the spirit. Alive to him. Hearing his voice. Doing the things that he wants. Let's take some time to pray about these things together. Ask the Lord, am I really that far off? Is my life really different than the way you're asking me? Look at the word. Look at the word yourself. And see what the Lord is calling you to. Spend some time in prayer and and continue in worship as the worship team comes up to lead us as well.